throughout the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, there was a man by the name of Gutsan Borglum. Does that name sound familiar? Gutsan. Oh, we, we hit. How do you know the name Gutsan Borglum? The president's car kicked Yes. Uh, he oversaw the Mount Rushmore project in the Dakotas. Four presidents, four U.S. presidents, were chosen to represent different aspects of our nation. George Washington represented the birth of the nation. Thomas Jefferson represented the growth of the nation, overseeing the Louisiana Purchase. Theodore Roosevelt represented the development of the nation. And Abraham Lincoln represented the preservation of our nation. I'd like to ask you a question as we begin this afternoon. What four chapters of the Bible would you list as the Mount Rushmore of Scripture? Four chapters in the Bible that you would say, man, these, these are the biggies. Of course, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine and, and truth, but perhaps it's a good Lord's Day conversation as you drive home in the car and Talk with your spouse and children about what, what four chapters would you list as the Mount Rushmore's of Scripture and why? Our text today is what I would put on my Mount Rushmore of Scriptures, Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and would like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. How many of you have been to Mount Rushmore? Okay you. <clears throat> Just as folks sit and behold the grand monument of Rushmore, in fact, there are stations on the Rushmore Trail. You walk and there's some lookouts, different lookouts, and you can see Mount Rushmore from different angles and highlights different presidents from the, from the different uh, ways that they're facing, and you can actually sit there and contemplate. Uh, I hope that that is something maybe perhaps today we can do from Ephesians chapter 2. So first, let's get the first frontal view of, of the passage by reading it, and then we'll begin to unpack it. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great passage of Scripture. Thank you for the truth that echoes and resonates throughout it. I pray as we look at it and ponder it and consider it and meditate upon it, that your word would be like bread that we could put into our souls and feast on and feed on, that it would give us strength to praise you, to serve you, to delight in you, to love you more today than we did yesterday, all to the praise of the glory of your grace. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I would like for us this morning to consider two great and deep truths that flow from this passage. Two uh, heads, as it were, on the Mount Rushmore of, of, this, of this passage. The first is the miserable, rotten condition of the unregenerate soul. The miserable, rotten condition of the unregenerate soul. Let's think of it and allow for Jehovah Rapha, the great physician, to, as it were, read your chart. Read the chart of the unregenerate, unsaved individual. Verse 1, dead in trespasses in sins. If this physician were to list the cause of death, he, he might write, drowned in trespasses and sins. The coroner's report to read on would say something like, well, from his DNA, we can tell that he was a member of an unholy family. Verse 2 says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. We have an expression like father, like son. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed to all men, for all have sinned. Let's move along and looking at this heading of the miserable, rotten condition of the unregenerate soul. 
and see it from another angle. Let's stop here at Romans chapter 3. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 3. Familiar passage to anyone who's been in church for for very long. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. A way to summarize this passage about the unregenerate soul is that they have no spiritual life at all. Completely without righteousness. So then the carnal mind is enmity against God. The unregenerate soul is against God. It is not subject to the law of God Neither indeed it cannot even be subject to the law of God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's flesh this out a little bit. Verse 11 of Romans 3. There is none that understandeth. That means that the unregenerate individual has no spiritual perception whatsoever. Except a man be born again, he cannot, what does it say? See, perceive the kingdom of God. They don't enjoy sermons. They're confusing. Bible reading is painful. Because they have no taste for it, no desire, no spiritual perception, no understanding. Romans 3 says, there's none that seeketh of yourself. You have no true spiritual pursuit. We we know the song, I once was lost. That's the testimony. I once was lost. But now... I'm found. This is how scripture summarizes your spiritual ability if you are outside of Christ this morning. Unprofitable. You are beyond the means of cultivation. See, you can't cultivate a rotten apple into a good apple. You're beyond the means of education. And let me interject right here. This was all of us at one point in our life. You were beyond the means of education. You can't teach a dead dog new tricks. You are and were beyond all methods of inspiration. Emotional manipulation raises nobody from the dead. 
Hear the sobering summary of God's holy word. You see it in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 2. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's the condition, the miserable, rotten condition of the unregenerate individual. You don't have any hope and you're without God in this world. There is enmity. There is hostility between you and God. The passage in Ephesians says you're far off. Alienated. But you're in love with the world. Verse 2, let's go back to Ephesians, our passage. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You were in love with the world. First John says the world is a passing away along with everything that people crave. And you're in love with it. Verse 3 of Ephesians says, Among whom also we all had our conversation and our lifestyle in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were dead within, defiled without, unclean. Let's just pause for a moment. And take a deep breath. Breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. Do you smell that? 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that the gospel message produces two different aromas. To one... It is the sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. To the other, in them that perish, it is the savor of death unto death. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that don't believe. It is offensive. Have you ever smelled death? When we, we moved uh, to a remote fishing village off the grid in southeast Alaska, sight unseen, took the job, let's do it. And my one fear was that we were going to get there and it was going to stink all the time. If you've ever been to the ocean, if you've ever been to the lake, sometimes there's seaweed smell and dead fish, and that would have killed me. It was so awesome to get off that plane. Oh, and it was beautiful, freshest, cleanest air that you can possibly imagine. But on the fishing dock, from time to time, it would be halibut season, where the commercial fishermen would string their hooks with bait and I'm here to tell you I can still smell it because you know fishermen by nature are very cheap and why buy live bait when you can just buy cut up old dead bait 
for one-tenth of the price. So these large boats would buy buckets and buckets and buckets of dead fish. And they had a saying as you walk down the, the docks and were around. And I mean, you could, if the boat was out there in the road, you could still smell it during, during these peak times. And they had a saying, smells like money. That's the smell of money. And that is how they would view it because as you were doing that and hooking all that, into, it was eventually going to produce a lot of money. <clears throat> and so that's one smell. I wonder if you've ever smelled a dead mouse. Is it true that a dead mouse just has a smell all of its own? When you're in the house and you smell... There's a dead mouse, not a dead coon, not a dead possum, not a dead skunk. That's a dead mouse. We had a dead mouse underneath. My grandmother was staying with us, and we had, we'd walk into a room. Ah, oh, Graham, are you showering? You know, we got to get a different deodorant. But, but even then, immediately we knew it wasn't her. It wasn't Graham. There's a dead mouse. And so... I literally would go in there and I would put my, my nose down on the ground to turtle. I have a very good smeller. And I would move all the way around the room and try to smell it. And I eventually come to the conclusion it's under the house. It's under the house. And finally, it got so bad and I was so fed up. Called my boys, said, all right, boys, you're going under the house. This is at night. And so there was a whole family issue there of screaming and threatening, get under the house, it'll be fine. Um, and finally, one of my sons went under the house, pulled the, the insulation off, and there, lo and behold, was a rat about yay big. And the, the joy of removing that that smell and getting that smell. But there is nothing quite like the smell of dead human flesh. Don't know if you've had that privilege of smelling a dead body at some point in your life. I was pastoring up uh, in Vanderbilt, Michigan, and a member of our church uh, was not well. He didn't really take care of himself very well, and he had diabetes and, and so not good circulation and he got a sore on his foot and then he ha had a um, cast on it and he didn't take care of it and so literally his foot started to rot and I hadn't seen him he didn't show up for church it's a couple days and I went in there and I opened the door <sighs> I kid you not you could feel the smell Oh, instant dry heave, instant dry heave. Never smelt anything like that in my whole life. The smell of dead, rotting human flesh. If you have never smelled your sin that way, the cross will make no sense to you. First Corinthians one eighteen. Let me just read it. it. Says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. 
but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The cross is what you rightly deserve because of your sin. That is what you deserve. Think of it like this today if you remain unconverted. The devil has his hand holding on to your ankle. Because you are deaf and dead and spiritually blind, you can't see it or feel it or hear it. But everywhere you go, he's holding on to your ankle and your foot. What is he waiting for? For your light to go out. He is waiting for the instant that you die to instantly thrust you down into hell for all eternity where you will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil wants nothing more than to claim you for his own for eternity. What is it that restrains him from snatching your life out from under you at this very second? The mere pleasure of God. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That's a lot to consider and ponder, but let's move on to our next head. The brilliantly wonderful condition of those that are saved. The brilliantly wonderful condition of those that are saved. Look back with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened. Even though that was your condition, you Christian, he hath made alive. God has crushed the serpent's head that had a hold of you, snatched you from his death grip, and translated you into the, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. If you have Jesus, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Verse 2 through 3 describes the saved soul in past tense. Wherein in time past. This is you, Christian. Grab a hold of this. Contemplate that. In time past, you walked. Past tense. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were 
past tense, were by nature children of disobedience. I was about 15, 20 years ago, we went down to Toledo to a preaching conference. It was an old Baptist tent meeting, camp meeting, shouting, blue grassy kind of uh, event. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but uh, it was a good time with, with several men, and we heard good preaching, and and one evening, about I don't about ten o'clock, we went out afterwards to Arby's, <clears throat> a bunch of men, and we were uh, high on emotion and and thrilled just with being saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we walked up to the counter, and we're all just kind of standing there. And the first guy here, he still I think he still lives in Owasso. <clears throat> um, the lady. We, had a southern accent. I seem to remember a southern accent. And she saw we were just laughing and having such a good time. And she just says, wow, where are you guys all from? And the guy, without even hesitating, looked at her and says, it's not about where we're from. It's about where we're going. <laughs> the brilliantly wonderful condition of those that are saved. Let's look at the next station of that truth. Verse 4 through 5. But God. Here is the tattoo. <laughs> I'm not a big tattoo guy. <laughs> but if I were to get one. <laughs> but God. Here is the vanity plate. But God. Here's the bumper sticker. This should be our church's website address. ButGod.com We should get ButGod.org ButGod.us ButGod.net Whatever else we could get. But God Who is rich in mercy and in great love For his great love wherein he loved us. Even when we were dead. In sins. To those who were far off. He extends his grace. His grace. One of the prayers that I found myself saying a lot lately is, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. When contemplating just the wickedness that we see all around us, my prayer is just, oh, God, have mercy. Don't give those what they deserve for this. One of my hobby horses is, is abortion. You know how many people, how many babies have been killed in America since 1973? 60 million. God have mercy on our nation. I looked it up this morning. 25,000 abortions in Michigan every year. 
15,000 COVID deaths, but 25,000 abortion deaths. God have mercy. We see our elected officials leading our nation into wickedness. God have mercy on our nation. This is our, our prayer for you, unconverted. God have mercy. We believe that it is the mere pleasure of God that keeps you breathing. Our constant hope and prayer is that you would experience his rich mercy and receive his great love for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What a mercy to look and live. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. Let's move on to the next station of this great and glorious condition of the Christian. I want you to think of grace, the grace of God, as a deep fountain and a deep flowing stream that flows from Calvary. How can you be washed in that stream? How can you be saved from that flow of grace? Faith. Faith, Spurgeon says, is the aqueduct. The flood of mercy flows down to refresh the thirsty sons of men. By faith, simply by faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Verse Six, see that our faith unites us with Jesus Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our faith unites us with Jesus Christ. Here's a note from Matthew Henry. He says... <clears throat> Our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in him that we live. Because Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. We who were buried are raised up. Notice in verse 6. What remains yet to be done is here spoken of as though it were already past. Hath raised us, us up together and made us sit 
in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The, the scripture is talking about you, Christian, as if that's already a reality. It's a certainty. Verse 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Joel Beakey says God will glorify himself by showering love upon his people forever. Verse 8. Therefore. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is by grace. We who were dead in trespasses and sins and drowned and in love with the world and stained and are made alive. We are saved from the death of sin and now have an attitude or a spirit of spiritual life implanted down deep into our souls. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. You hath he quickened. Last station. What role do good works play? <clears throat> Verse 10. For we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All religion hinges on this question. Christianity alone says that our salvation rests on God's work. Amen? God's grace in granting us repentance and faith. Christians labor for God in order to please him, not to appease him. Amen. Let me read that again. Christians labor for God in order to please him, not to appease him. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Christians do good works because it delights God, not in order to be forgiven. Let me read that again. Christians do good works because it delights God, not in order to be forgiven. Christians do good works out of a love for God. It's a response from being made alive, from seeing what we deserved, from seeing who we were and what we deserved. And God in his grace upon grace pours out salvation upon us in Christ. 
and our response is good works. Not to make God love us. But out of thankfulness and not out of fear. Being a Christian comes prior to doing what Christians do. Being a Christian comes prior to doing what Christians do. We don't make ourselves Christians by doing good things. Christians do good things because they are Christians. If you've been to Mount Rushmore, you know they have a closing ceremony. And so we're going to have our closing ceremony now. The gospel demands humility. What reasons do true Christians have to boast? Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We were dead in sin, far off from God. Satan ruled us. God's wrath burned against us. If you have any spiritual life here at all today, it's due to God's grace in Christ. Why then do we look down on others? Who makes us to differ? Let us have a heart of humility, giving all glory to God, and learn of him. For I am meek and lowly, he says. Secondly and lastly, believers are richer than kings. I won't ask for a show of hands. Maybe I'm just really bad and I'm not, you're not like me. But I wonder how many times you've had this thought, I wish I, I, wish I was rich. Wouldn't it be nice if we were rich? Wouldn't it be nice if, if we won the lotto? <laughs> we were at the store not too long ago. I, I don't even remember what store it was. And uh, my young child, I won't say which one it was, but young child... Walked over, we were at the service, taking cans back. I don't remember what we were doing, returning some. And she got in line. I'm like, what are you doing? She said, I'm going to buy a lotto ticket. <laughs> I said, you can't buy a lotto ticket. Look, it's $165 billion. <laughs> Get out of line. What are you doing? You're buying a lotto ticket. Believers are richer than kings. They are joined with none other than Jesus Christ seated with him in the heavenly places. They are recreated with the risen Christ as their Adam. And God is going to show us how great he is by pouring out kindness upon us for all eternity. All of this is by grace. Through the great sufferings of Jesus Christ upon the cross. If we are truly saved. We should bless God. And sing his praises. All of our lives. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word, this truth, how, how silly I am to forget it and get caught up in, in things. Uh, and so we just thank you again for these constant and steady reminders. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, and salvation. Please write these truths upon our hearts, we pray in Christ's name.